If you've been with us for any length of time at all, you know that when it comes time to share the Lord's table, we've kind of made it a habit to just do what we call table talk. It's less formal in terms of its presentation of the word and kind of talking, all right? Just, just, uh, Jesus was speaking with his disciples that night and uh, we're just we're going about it that way. One of the things that, I, that always concerns me about the Lord's table is, and partly because of my own background, is it can become something that is very perfunctory. It can become something that is just, yeah, we just do it, we run through it. And uh, of all things, this ought not to be something we just run through. We need to give consideration to what it is that we are remembering here because it is most significant if you think about it. It is, it is the present expression of the longest running dynamic of anything in the history of mankind because God began his redemptive work immediately after Adam and Eve fell. He offered to them the promise of a coming Messiah. We are still remembering that Messiah as we share the Lord's table. So this has been going on since the beginning of man's history. So that's one to just help us understand how significant what we're going to do is. And the other thing that I think we ought to at least occasionally consider is Jesus Christ and his gospel and what he accomplished on the cross is our only hope for peace in this world. We have a crazy world that we're living in. And... Uh, you can just, wherever you turn, you can, you can see things that you think they're going well here and then something derails over here and, and one thing after another. And, and we could, if we listed them together, we could easily come up with 20 in a matter of a couple minutes of things. You go, this is craziness right now. This is, this is not good. But Jesus Christ can reach into all of that and lift us up above it and beyond it. So, uh, we are going to shortly be at the Lord's table, but I want to share some thoughts that bring us to that place, if you will. And uh, I want to begin, ask you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. My daughter last week teased me. She said, Dad, oh great, you start a book on Romans, tell us to bring our Bibles. And then I, I didn't say you turned to Romans 1 last week, so got to make sure I say it. All right, then we went over to, we went over to Philippians after that. He said, yeah, you really fooled us. But Romans 1, we were, we've been here before. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. But I'd like to just note there, because we're going to go look at it from a different place again, like we did last week, is you have Paul, who is an apostle, and he is somehow connected to the gospel, which was promised by the prophets in the Holy Scripture. So that's the Old Testament prophets. So what we're aware of is that you have this, this in our Bibles, we have this Old Testament, moves into the New Testament. They're all part of the same story. Sometimes we, sometimes we bifurcate them and make it seem like there's two entirely different things. They are not. The New Testament is the outgrowth of the Old Testament. You have to have that in your thinking. And here Paul, he as an apostle, identifies with the prophets in the Holy Scriptures as all part of that ongoing thing, which I mentioned is the longest running thing that has ever happened with mankind, and that is God's redemptive plan. So we're going to go from here. We're going to pick up. We're going to move over to Ephesians chapter 2. 
I want to move over to Ephesians chapter 2 because he's going to flesh some things out for us there that he only touches on briefly here in the book of Romans. And I hope they will indeed kind of set the stage for what we're about to do. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, and, and uh, we're going to pick it up there. You're at a place here where if you've done, if you've done anything with gospel tracts, you know what came before this. Because in gospel tracts, they always have the Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that uh, he has before ordained that we should walk in them. Okay, so we're familiar with that. We get that. But this is what follows, and we're a little less familiar with this passage in here, and it has some very significant things to tell us about the gospel about the good news that we are going to be proclaiming. And by the way, do you understand that we will be proclaiming the gospel together? But Paul says that, and we read it every, week, every time we, we share it. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. The Lord's death is the gospel. He died on our behalf. He died for us. He died to save us. All right, so that's where we're at with that. I want to pick it up in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. We're just going to make a couple of interesting notes. Therefore, remember that you, he's writing to the Ephesians now, Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Now, the difference between the two, the circumcision was assigned to Abraham. So he's talking about Jews when he's talking about circumcision. Uncircumcision, he's talking about Gentiles. Because the Bible sees two people effectively, those who are part of Abrahamic covenant and those who are not. And he's saying there was this, this division, okay? And you being Gentiles, notice verse 12, at that time you were without Christ. As Gentiles, simply as Gentiles, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He's being pretty clear with the Ephesians. He said, until you responded to the gospel, you had no working of God in your life. You had no hope for eternal life. You were separated from that work that God has been doing since Genesis chapter 3 that I said is the longest ongoing thing in the history of man. He said, you had no part in that. As a Gentile, it's not that they couldn't become proselyte and have turned to Judaism, but they lived in this culture uh, there in Ephesus. They lived in this culture of paganism. And they were completely separated from the things of God. <clears throat> and he goes on to say, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. First thing that I simply want us to note, this gospel that we're going to proclaim when we partake together, is that the gospel is inclusive. Those who were separated from the things of God were brought near. They were brought close to God. They were brought into his promises. They were, they were given a place of safety and redemption. And notice that it took place brought nearby the blood of Christ. There was nothing that we did, and that's what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 reminds us. Nothing that we did. It's nothing of our own goodness, nothing of our own righteousness. Christ accomplished redemption on our behalf by pouring out his blood for us. We're going to be Remembering that just shortly. For he himself, going on with verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one, 
and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both, that is Jew and Gentile alike, have access by one spirit to the Father. The second thing that we just note is that the gospel is effective. It's effective at taking, not only bringing these two groups and bringing them near to one another because of the blood of Jesus Christ, but it's effective in the tensions, in the, in the butting of heads that they would have done. It breaks it all down. It tears it all down because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. He reconciled us. He reconciled the Jews. He put to death the enmity that was between us. There was, I mean, you can, you can imagine that when we have a statement that says, never talk about politics or religion, we know that those are discussions that, and my mom did used to say that, those are discussions that can get out of hand and everybody's angry and they're fighting with each other. You can imagine, you can imagine the contention that would have existed when the Jews said, we have the truth. We have the covenants of God. And those who are worshiping all these pagan gods are saying, you've got no truth at all. And they're like, what do you mean? Our gods are as good as your gods. What do you mean we got no, we've got nothing? And you can imagine the tension and the conflict that it created. And Paul is saying that conflict is totally destroyed when we understand that Christ, through his cross, through his cross, back to what we're going to be remembering, that Christ tore down that, en that enmity, that tension, that confrontation that we might have with one another. And isn't, isn't that just true? I, I think of this often. Dear friends, as we come as we come to reflect on the cross for our lives in just a little bit, and as we acknowledge what God is wanting to make known to us, that we are sinners guilty before him, and we have no hope without what Christ alone has done. We've got nothing. That our righteousness amounts to nothing. We are only worthy of God's judgment. We are dead in trespasses and sin until Christ invaded our lives we had no relationship with God, that when we understand that, you know what? When I am before the cross recognizing that, I have no, nothing in me that wants to look at the next guy and go, I'm so glad I'm better than him. <laughs> you know, I'm so glad that I'm not like he was. Isn't that, doesn't Jesus tell us a parable about that? About the publican and the Pharisee who went up to pray, and the Pharisee said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this publican, because these are all the things I do. And the publican, the publican just would not lift his head. He's, Jesus said he beat his breast and said, Father, forgive me, a sinner. And Jesus said, That's the one who went back made righteous before God, because he wasn't trying to compare himself to somebody else. He acknowledged his own need. And that's all he needed to tend to at the cross. And when we come to the cross and we get it, and we realize that it is the cross that gives us eternal life. It's nothing, nothing of our own goodness. Then 
find out that I don't have to be at odds with my, with my neighbors or those with whom I have had contentions. I've, some of you have heard this story from me before. I told it a number of years ago, I know, but um, I, I'm going to throw it out here again. And it's the story of Timmy James. Timmy James was a kid who moved into our neighborhood um, when they were building a whole new slew of houses behind us. And I still remember the hills that they made. We played on these hills for a year while they built this whole row of houses. And I remember when his family first showed up saying, hey, we're going to be friends. Well, it turns out Timmy was nobody he wanted to be a friend with. If the best I, can, best I can describe Timmy James is he was like, uh, if you've ever seen the, the old movie, um, uh, Tom Sawyer, remember Sid? Remember Sid? And Sid was just this whiny little guy, and, and Tom would do something, and he'd always be like, Aunt Polly! That literally is what Timmy James is like. And where I thought this kid was going to be my friend, a new kid in our neighborhood, we couldn't get along with this guy. He was just this whining, complaining person who always had his mom yelling at us for something. And, and I mean, seriously, we didn't do it. And he's going, whine to his mom. And it's like, oh, I did not like Timmy James. And that was when I was a grade schooler. So we didn't hang out. Got to be high school, didn't hang out. Got to be first year in college, and I got it connected with a Bible study at the Des Plaines Bible Church. That's where I met Lori and got involved in being one of those who leads this Friday night Bible study. God's doing things in my life. It was wonderful. It was great. I'm so excited about what God is doing. And then one day I see Timmy James's family driving by. And I said, Lord, I know I'm supposed to love people. I can't. I cannot love him. I don't have anything in me for him. Well, you know, you know where this story's going already. I don't have to tell you. Who wants to finish the story for me? You can. Because within a week, I think it was that very week, I'm in this place, we're doing our Friday night Bible study, and I'm leading one of the small groups within that study. The door opens and in walks Timmy James. And instantly, my heart was melted because I knew Timmy James needs Christ like I do. The enmity that I had for him that I told God I can't deal with him gone. That's what the cross does when we recognize that those people who we tend to look down on or, or you know hate or whatever it is, when we get serious about our own sin and recognize that they're no worse than we are and we're no better than them, we really, we really are all made of the same stuff. You know, that's just how it is. We all got the same problems. And uh, so that's what the cross does reconcile both to God in one body through the cross. So the first segment mentioned the blood of Christ. The second segment, he mentions the cross. You see a little bit of a pattern there, okay? Now we move on to verse 19. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That is, these who were Gentiles are now fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So we're back to that. That's where we jumped off from in the book of Romans. And now we're back to that. We're back to this statement that says, this redemptive work that God is doing began with the prophets of the Old Testament. If it was continuing and has continued through the apostles of the New Testament. And it says, we're being built on the foundation 
Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We're back to, it's all about Christ, friends. It's all about Christ. The cornerstone is that stone that is laid from which they square everything off of the cornerstone. And now he is the one who is that squaring place, that, that it all starts with him, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And now we find that the gospel, which we're going to proclaim by sharing the Lord's table, the gospel is restorative. Is that these, these things where we were separated from one another, we were outside of the promises, God's bringing us together and he's doing something with us. He's bringing something significant together with us. And what I find so fascinating about that is he also says in another place, in the book of Ephesians, we won't go there for now, but he, but he says that God is at work and he brings us into this unity of his body, and he said, which, which every joint supplies. So he has restored us as individuals into his body. Every one of us who has responded to the gospel Every one of us who has realized that the blood of Christ is all that I have. The cross of Christ is all that I have. The cornerstone who is Christ is all that I have. See, it's all about him. And when we, when we come to that place, we begin to realize he, he's restoring me into something good. And he's got a place for me in all of this. He's got a purpose for me in all of this. Me and you. Now, I know for a fact that there was a little boy here asking, why is there an excavator up here on the pulpit? So I had never looked at one of these closely, but my grandson, I call him Magoo, okay? His name's Nolan, but I call him Magoo. My grandson got one for his birthday. They've been here this weekend, and so we celebrate his birthday, and it's one of these things called tech. Technics? Are they, by are they made by Lego? All right, it's a Lego product. goes far beyond what you remember just the, you know, the six pegs and slots, right? And it, here's what I want you to notice about this. He, he got it for his birthday, okay? First of all, these things actually do turn, all right? It's hard to get it to go here, but notice this. It pivots this way. Notice that if you do this... Let's see, is it, can you see it move? Oh, here we go. There it's moving now. See, you can lift the bucket up, and here's another one. Oops, all the way. Now it puts the bucket down. Do you see all that movement? All right, the pivots, all of these things. This actually is quite complex. I, I just, when he was describing it to me, showing it to me, I'd never seen one. I'm like, this is fascinating. Now, here's... Here's what, I'd like to, here's what I'd like to point out. We tend to get caught up on some things that maybe we, it isn't worth getting caught up on, but we tend, to, we tend to look at the things that are big and significant, like, oh, here's this bucket. Wow, that's impressive. But you know what? We look at, we look at Christians who are, they're impressive, they're big, they're like the big bucket. They can get a lot done, and oh, wow, everybody is impressed with them. 
But here's the deal. Down in here, you can't see it. There are little tiny linkages that are here. You pull out one of those linkages and that bucket doesn't go anywhere. You can't see them. They're not to be like, oh, wow, they're incredible. They're small. There's nothing impressive about them. But without them, you don't have the complexity working properly here. So friends, what I'm trying to encourage you is you may feel very much like, you know, I'm not very significant in all of this in all of the, this thing that God is doing. You're talking about something that's been going since, since the beginning of, of human history. You're talking about something that is in Jesus Christ, that He alone is our hope, and that He takes us, He's doing something with us, but He's not doing much with me. And what I'd like to remind each of us, friends, we may just be a little linkage in here somewhere, but without us being that linkage, something isn't working elsewhere. And our role is important. We don't need to be caught up in what's flashy, what's big, what's impressive. We need to understand that Christ is building us together to His glory. Because you notice it's all about Him. About Him, people. It's about Him. And He's doing something in us and through us that, that we can celebrate, we can rejoice. Amen? Amen. So, what I'm hoping we will take with this, not only, not only that for your own self you realize, however God has wired you and has placed you in the body of Christ to serve, that it's critical that you are, even if it's a bit of linkage, it's critical or something doesn't work. But we will also look at people to your left, right, in front of you, behind you, and realize they're critical too. They are critical too. And we don't need to be festering the enmity. The gospel says, let's tear that down and let's understand that God wants to do a work and is doing a work in each of us so that we can be at peace and enjoy and working together and most effective as the body of Christ. And then Christ will be glorified. Amen? Amen. All right, thank you.